For April 25th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 147. How did it make you feel when you got hit by the kobold? Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From a mythical land I like to call Skype 2.6, I'm your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel and special guest uh, to overthink many, many, many things, including uh, browser-based role-playing games and your television. So uh, let's jump right into it. Question of the week, if you could create a character class... For role-playing games, tabletop games or, uh, you know, computer-based uh, games, you know, console games, um, whatever, whatever you have, any kind of role-playing game. If you could create a, uh, another class, we have, you know, the what, the, uh, the warriors, we have the, the mages and clerics and magic users of all kinds, we have the, uh, what, paladins... I'm I'm running dry here, guys. The you know the, a dire elf, I believe. I don't think a dire elf is a class. That's a race, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, well, in, the, in the original D and D rules, a lot of the classes were races. You could just be an elf, and that was your job. Elfing. <laughs> you, woke, you woke up every morning and just elfed all over the place. <laughs> it mostly involved like the the crafting of cookies, if I recall right, or uh, crispy treats. Nobody <laughs> Produ- producing well, producing the fudge necessary by by mythical means. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh God! As if as if elfing didn't sound dirty enough. Now we're fudge producing. What um, else do elves? What else do elves make in this culture? <laughs> uh, I don't want to. Uh, we, wooden shoes, uh, Christmas toys, and cookies. Apparently, that's it. Yeah, the cobbler's assistant is a. <laughs> <laughs> the elf economy. Um, we, uh, yes. So, uh, if you could create a new character class or race, I suppose, whatever, as if I care, uh, if you could create a new one, what would it be? Peter Fenzel is on an overthinking it, uh, bus trip. <laughs> <Drink>. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, we weren't um, supposed to drink until that happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're playing the drinking game at home, you drink every time Fenzel is first in the alphabet, and you drink every time Fenzel is not first in the alphabet, and you drink every time Fenzel is not on the podcast. All right. So basically you drink. Or, or, or at all other events. Um, so uh, a special guest I'm going to save you as a, as a special treat for the end. So we're going to actually go out of alphabetical order first to John Perich. Whoa, first in the alphabetical order. This is highly unprecedented. So, okay. This is this is a You know, role it's like un, un, unprecedented is one of those things that it either is or it isn't, right? It's you can't be like very unprecedented or just a little bit unprecedented. This can is you? extremely unprecedented. Well, it I am ex- even less <laughs> even less precedent than usual. All right. <laughs> so, one role that I feel has always been missing in role-playing games is that of the venture capitalist or the financier, the guy who sits, the guy who sits behind the scenes, finances the you know the adventures and the expeditions and the enterprises, but doesn't doesn't risk anything other than capital. Typically, in in most in most games of D and D, or in the games that mimic them, like World of Warcraft or other online role-playing games, there's you know the guy who comes up to you in the tavern and says, "Oh, I've got a quest for you. If you go to this dungeon, you know, I'll give you this equipment, and you go get this thing and bring it back, and I'll reward you." 
But that that guy is always narrated by the the dungeon master or the narrator or the the quest giving formula of the of the online game, and I think that needs to be a person because you know there's there's a lot of responsibility involved there. There's weighing risk reward analysis. There's laying out a good business plan. There's determining shareholder structure. There's all these other essential roles, and and really they're the people who make the quest economy, which really drives these games go. And that's that's as powerful and as important as the ability to raise the dead or slay dragons or shoot lightning bolts. So venture capitalist class, uh, low hit dice, lots of skill points, uh, lots of wealth and resources. That's my pick. Excellent. It is hard to it is hard to be a financier in a world where most of the currency is locked up in piles underneath dragons. Well, yes, exactly. But you you pay people to bring you relics, then you fence those relics to interested parties, and that gives you the the seed money to lay out, you know, Series B and Series C funding for for later ventures. Or, you can also collude yeah, with I'm the not, dragons. I'm not really. I'm not, I'm not convinced that it, that the economy you just described is all that different from the economy that we're all staring down the throat of right now. Actually, yeah. Or as is as is the case with with real world experience, maybe maybe adventures. You know, multi class into this venture capitalist role in the same way that people who come from startups often become, if they're successful enough, often become angel investors or venture capitalists of their own. We do end up with a lot of angry Facebook posts with graphs about how 95% of the world's wealth is controlled by 5% of the world that is dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Next in the alphabet, uh, Dr. Schechner. What up? What it is, people? Okay, so uh, I, I'm a scientist by trade and often end up in the sort of scientific, uh, mathematical realm when we do on, you know, when we, when we venture into overthinking. Um, and I'm trying to avoid that stereotype for myself. So I'm sort of avoiding that entire. Also, because I think that the, the scientist profession in our world is often eerily paralleled by the sort of mystical arts in your average role playing game slash fantasy novel, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. So, uh, you know, in an effort to please, rather, I'm sort of going more towards the, uh, the arts rather than the sciences. So I came up with a couple, none of which are good, but I'm hoping there's some will be as, uh, as elegant as Parrish's. Um, also, uh, I'm going for sort of like the pun theme um, in, in akin to our mystery guest. So I came up with, um, you know, the beard bard. This is, a, um, this is sort of like an itinerant poet who wanders town to town, uh, regaling people with um, epic stories of romance and woe, but uh, all in the form of beards. No, anyway, um, I think one sort of character class that's really emerged as like a dominant theme in um, in our culture, which is notably absent in most of our works of fiction, is um, is the hipster. You know, you, the, the sort of person who's like who's who's like such a, a rabid consumer of all things that are apparently anti-consumerist. Um, that is like like you know definitely adherent to a culture whose central tenant is to be not adherent to things like a person at, you know, at deep war with himself. And so, uh, the class I came up with there was the, uh, the connoisseur, uh, sewer spelled as in, you know, the, uh, waste exit tunnel from like a city. So this, this is a person who, who resides in the sewer presumably, but, um, but appreciates it in a way that you just you can't understand. All right. Yeah. Like, I got my breastplate plate from this, this Indian chanter. You probably haven't heard of him. You, you haven't heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. well, I mean, it, you, if you have heard of him, I was into him before he was cool. But. It's it's interesting because you know there are very few RPGs that devote a lot of effort, either mechanically or narratively, to the act of consumption. 
Like typically an adventurer who goes out and gets gold immediately reinvests that gold in improving uh, him or herself, either by getting better equipment or training better skills or, you know, there's just this constant, almost Protestant work ethic drive to, to continuously well, I, improve one's abilities. But there's very little effort. I don't, I don't know about that, right? I mean, like, you know, items are also like a central tenet of your average, you know, hack and slash uh, role playing game, right? Yeah, but you're um, using those items to, you know, recover from damage that you've taken in the course of adventuring or just improve your skills so you can go out and beat up better monsters. There's very little effort devoted to, you know, just, just kicking back and having a few brews and, and listening to that. <laughs> yeah. There's no, like, congratulations, adventurer. Inside the urn, you found the bejeweled flat-screen TV of Themicles. Set this right, up in your den. <laughs> and wouldn't that be awesome? Or like, set, oh, yeah, set this up in your den only if you can find... Uh, your next quest is to find the HD HDMI cable of, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Vorpal what, compatibility plus four. The, what, the platinum like? one works a lot better than the silver one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me so angry. Premium digital cables. I can't believe people fall for that. $75 HDMI cables. It doesn't matter. It's either on, it's digital. It's either on or it's off. It's connected or it's not. Amazing Randy, right? James Randy. Didn't he have this uh, like famous lawsuit where he called out Monster Cable on this? Not not the, a not a lawsuit. It's part of the the James Randy Educational Foundation prize, where you know he he has this standing prize for anyone who can demonstrate you know conclusive documentary proof of some supernatural ability, and he extended yeah. it to the monster company, being like, "Hey, if you can <laughs> prove that your gold plated cables are significantly better than you know standard cables, I'll pay you this million dollars." No, I, I think he, it wasn't even significantly better. It was better. Um, uh, just aesthetically, like like an average listener needed to be able to hear the difference between the two in like a set of closed room. Well, there's a difference. I mean, there's a difference between old analog stereo cables or instrument cables or things like this where you can actually do things. I don't think gold plating them does does a damn thing, but you actually can improve the the signal transmission of those right with shielding and with you know better uh, connectivity. But it but the digital cables, like seriously, it's on or it's off. Error correction is built into the protocols <laughs> for you know for the transmission of digital information. It's not like you can get a higher fidelity digital signal uh, this could all just come full circle i could be like look i wrap my old aluminum leads in tinfoil that i scrounge off the street it just gives it like a warmer sound that you wouldn't really understand or appreciate <laughs> look my look my mithril plate mail has special more effective i mean it, not everyone gets that but it's it's cool i mean like two years from now it'll be the big thing and then you know whatever yeah. Also, I want to say that like your stereo system glows blue when orcs are near, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's me now. So okay, I I um I I want to pick up on something that that Schechner said, which is that which is about culture in uh you know in role playing games. So much so much is done for um, instrumental benefits that there isn't a lot of time spent on things that have intrinsic benefits, like you know music. Like music doesn't make you stronger. You know it doesn't heal. Uh, it doesn't heal damage or anything like that. It just is um, intrinsically valuable because the because you like the experience or because you think the thing is beautiful or something like that. So you spend so much time in role playing games fighting uh, very consequential. Um, 
battles and and uh, questing for things and you know making conquests and and participating in contests uh, that are very important to your characters there isn't a lot of time spent on inconsequential unimportant contests and that's why the new character class i would like to create is the reality television star which is a person who uh, which is a person who um, participates in quests, but only meaningless quests uh, because they are not here to make friends. No, they are not here to make friends. Fully unprophesied. <laughs> That's what I, I, I nearly went with a joke and said, uh, my character class is women, but uh, the, I, Dang I, thought would, I thought that would be that would do a disservice to the many wonderful women gamers out there. Um, and I think it's silly to imply that any of the male gamers would actually know enough to be able to successfully role play one. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I see what you did there. Well, who is that voice who's never been on the podcast before? Why, that is the voice of special guest for this week. It is Zach Johnson, uh, behind the, one of the guys behind kingdom of loathing. Hey, Hey. we're really glad. Thanks for having me guys. I'm really glad you're here. The, um, uh, uh, I don't know what we've, I feel like we've had a relationship for a long time just because I think we share a lot of listeners and we talk about one another's podcasts a lot. Bounce back and forth a little. I'm a long time listener, but uh, first time participant. First time. <laughs> hey, long time. First time. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to, uh, we're glad to have you. Well, since you, you, uh, administer your own, uh, browser based role playing game, uh, no doubt you have a lot of opinions about this. So if you could invent out of whole cloth, a character class or race that, uh, that, uh, Everyone, every role-playing game from now on would have to use. Uh, what would you do? What would well, you do? Well, it seems like, in general, all of the characters are just these sort of like fresh-faced, eager, ready to go out and, and kill monsters and take their stuff and buy better. What I want is the ability to play one of those guys later in his life. So you're the guy who's sitting around at the inn, perhaps grizzled. Maybe you have one of those cool scars across one of your eyes. You don't wear an eye patch because because it's 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 cooler to have a scar. And the main way that you gain experience at that point in your life is by drinking and complaining about how much better adventurers were back in your day and telling stories <laughs> about your exploits <laughs> that you roll on a table to see to what extent they're true. Uh-huh. So I, I, so the retiree. Yeah. The retired I, adventurer. I like it. And in the sense that, you know, experience uh-huh. for most adventurers scales when you fight uh, harder opponents experience for the retiree would scale when you dismiss a superior adventurer's achievements so you know someone who's slain 10 dragons and saved you know three different kingdoms it's like eh but those are you know th- those aren't dragons as big as back in my day so you know bonuses for greater exaggerations <laughs> awesome well um excellent so zach tell us a little bit about how Kingdom of Loathing came about back in what the 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 early days of the aughts, right? Yeah, the 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 late seventies. It's uh, in uh, I think it was the beginning of two thousand three. I, uh, oh, I messed a, around when a mommy role playing game and a daddy role playing game love each other very much. They give each other a special kind of hug. I discovered a, I discovered a thing that I think a lot of people uh, a lot of people in our crowd can relate to, which is that the less seriously I took a creative project, the the greater the quantity of my output. Yeah, and uh, uh. so 
so I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a little challenge here. I'm going to make something. I'm going to spend a week on it and I'm going to put it out and see if anybody's interested in it. And if so, hope that the, the enthusiasm of an audience will be enough to actually drive me to follow through with something. And, uh, so I did that and, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's eight years old and it was antiquated tech when it was created. Um, I, I drew on all of my years of uh, web design uh, training and experience, which were unfortunately the early 90s. Uh, so the website, uh, the website still has frames, which everybody is always really excited to see. They're like, aha, this is a, this is a cool website. It has frames. <laughs> hey, you, can, you, can, you can bring your nephew over and tell him, see, this is what I was talking about. This is what the web used to look like. But, um, but, 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 I, but I started messing with it and chips? there are, you know what there are actually, that's sort of uh, that's our version of color. That's how we indicate that something is particularly rare or important is that it has an animated GIF. That's true. Um, I even have a guy who does those for me because I'm, I'm, I'm so bad at web design that I can't even make an animated GIF properly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I put this thing out there and it, you know, it was just, just this silly thing and a few numbers that you could make bigger and, and smaller. And then uh, a buddy of mine from high school said, hey, can I, uh, can I help you write for this? And I said, sure. So we started doing that. And then uh, you know, more and more people started showing up and it started getting to the point where, uh, where I was having to pay out of pocket for hosting more than I uh, was comfortable as a, as a poor college student. And uh, so I asked, for, I asked for donations, started taking donations. Somebody said, hey, you should, uh, you should give us something in the game for donating. And uh, I said, okay, and sort of accidentally stumbled upon a microtransaction uh, business model back in the days when they didn't call it that. I don't know that there was a word for it then. We were really, we were really breaking some new ground with this, hey, give us, give us money for the products that we're creating. You that with, was your, a- with your frame set and your blink tags. So it was a novel sentiment back in the day. Um, but then, uh, you know, we just, we kept working on it. We kept adding stuff. And, and it, the, the low fidelity has been a real boon in terms of the ability to crank out stuff to add to it, it very quickly. And uh, we've always, you know, kept our ears pretty close to the ground in terms of talking to people and implementing player suggestions and stuff, uh, with stealing other people's ideas, essentially, and profiting from them. Um, Which is a more traditional business model. Sure. Uh, and, and a year or so in, uh, there got to be a post about the game in the something awful forums. And suddenly we were just inundated with new subscribers and, uh, no, well subscribers, I say that, but there's, there's no subscription, uh, new people giving us money. And then, so I sort of hired a crew to help with it. And that's what we've been doing for the last, uh, the last seven years. That's fantastic. So that I mean that's a wonderful I hope that's inspiring to all of our listeners because you started off doing something awesome uh on the internet and now it's kind of your job and stuff. Yeah, I I feel very lucky. I mean, it, it, given that so many things fail because they are too popular, I think it was it was a it was a stroke of luck that we stumbled into a way of actually uh, turning the popularity into enough money to sustain the popularity. We, you know, we went through all these iterations of, ah, crap, the servers have slowed down to a crawl because there's too many people playing. Well, luckily, we got enough money this month to buy some new servers and, and uh, just kind of moved on from there. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been fun. I, I, it's interesting to see... It, it, it's, it is indicative, I think, of, of a thing that I really like about the world right now, which is that the Internet has allowed a lot of people to not become rich as creative people, but to just make a living as creative people. Um, I, a good friend of mine who's uh, uh, 
MC Front a lot, the the nerdcore rapper. Same same sort of story. He just was making songs that he thought were cool, and because the internet was there and he was able to find a fan base, he's now uh, you know he's now able to make a living doing it. Whereas years ago, he years ago there wouldn't have been the software for him to mix everything himself. There wouldn't have been the the means of production of getting CDs pressed and things like that. You know, I I, I could have written all this stuff down on sheets of paper and played it with people around a table, but that that wouldn't have gotten very far. Yeah, the old binder, the old like DM three ring binder, right, with like a page of description for every location. Uh, you know, I, and they, they had to they dug, dug out some of walls. they dug out some of my old uh, stuff from from high school for a, the, this this film student did a documentary about Kingdom of Loathing a few years ago, and uh, one of the interstitials he said, "Hey, can I can I see some stuff, some of that stuff you were talking about that you wrote in high school?" So there's these just like scrawled maps scrolling by as we're as we're talking about stuff, and it's kind of uh, wow. I, uh, I I certainly would have written a little more neatly if I had realized that this was gonna ever see the light of day. Zach, where are you guys based out of in the meat space? Uh, we are in uh, we are in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Cool. That's just where I happened to live when it got started. And uh, our, our, our people are, we've got the, the guy that I was talking about who started it. He lived here at the time, but he has since moved away to start a family. And our, our programmer is a guy that lives in New York. And, you know, the fact that we, we live and work on the Internet gives us a lot of flexibility. Sure. Um, so, Zach, so, Zach, you talked about the simplicity of the design and that helping your ability to scale and just like, you know, the limited limited web language knowledge that the that running the game requires. Have you ever thought if you could scale further by making it even simpler, like, say, writing it in basic? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's it's written in PHP, which a lot of people will deride as being essentially like basic. Uh, you get a lot of you get a lot of those guys saying, "Well, you know, you really should be using this real database. You really should be using this real <laughs> language to do it." Yeah, 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 man. This ge- this game needs to be on Ruby on Rails. Yes, definitely. excuse me, sir. <laughs> I I think that your 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 game is in a, a scripting language that is not even a proper programming language. Uh, that it's not. And um, yes, I'm I'm very upset about that. I think it should be written in Ruby. I could port it to the uh, the TI-85 graphing calculator. <laughs> Don't you tease me, man. <laughs> Did you have man, one I, of those in high school, all of you guys? I, actually, you know, I, I was, remember I rocking the 82. I still rock the 82. I, I'm sitting here doing stem cell cancer research with my TI-82 because I'm, I'm, a, I'm too lug-headed to figure out how to work in <laughs> 85. I remember, I remember writing games for the TI-85 back in, what, 8th grade, ninth grade it must have been? Wow, yeah. that was... Uh, yeah, that was that was a fun that was a fun little and you side had to use the, you had to use the uh, the shift key to get any of the letters out, and they were arranged alphabetically on the uh... exactly. And if you wanted to define, you could only define like twenty six variables because each variable could only be one alphanumeric. Oh, could only be one alphabetical character. So the variable <laughs> name, awesome. Yeah, that sort of that sort of limited your no. The, the variable name was just like A, B, C, etc. So that sort of limited the depth of the games you could make. <laughs> and, and yet, this is uh, this is the engine on which the original run of Duke Nukem Forever was scripted. So, <laughs> I, anyway. I did this. Actually, I, my, my favorite thing about programming on the old TIs was that you would you would labor for days trying to make this thing perfect, and then your batteries would start to run low and, and you, you would, you know, run along that knife's edge of, can I swap out a triple a battery with enough time for like the little watch battery to keep my program intact. And you had about a 50, 50 chance of just like losing all your work because the battery died on the thing. 
When I, I when I was uh, like twelve or thirteen, I had a friend who would write these elaborate programs, and I would help him sometimes. We would write these these games in. Uh, in basic in applesoft basic and the games were like you know like uh 30 if gunstring you know is greater or less than yes print there is a gun here like that you know that was the, that was <laughs> <Yep>. the, <laughs> that was the level of our programming that that was that was the the qual- that was the the level of my programming with uh with microsoft q basic which uh <laughs> <laughs> which I was in, which I was into for uh, for several years, and my programming skills never really progressed beyond that. Sadly. But, so on the Apple II, you would boot into a basic shell, and uh, if you didn't know how to use floppy disks, which we didn't, you would eventually have to turn the computer off, and you would lose your beautiful ten thousand line program. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you feel my pain, rather <laughs> that you had spent weeks of your life on. But I remember but, with the, the TI eighty five. Did gun, you have Z shell on your TI eighty five calculator? I there, didn't know. There was this thing you could flash the uh, you could flash the firmware with this homebrew TI-85 firmware called Z shell that yes. took over one of your function keys and added like oh god I forget what it added. Let me let me go to Wikipedia which which knows all things. While you're doing that, I'll say that I remember, um, you know, the rabid uh, fervor that emerged when we learned that somebody had figured out how to, how to code a working version of Tetris for the TI, which is amazing to us because at that point we were all playing, um, you know, Tetris on like the, the uh, Game Boy, which actually had a larger screen and better gameplay. But it was like it was trying to recreate almost the exact same experience on the TI at the time where the other game was, was popular. Like looking back on it, I have no idea why we were excited by this. So, so to, to bring this back to more financially successful games like Kingdom of Loathing, for instance, uh, Zach, I'll, I'll just put this out there. So, I mean, you you started this out with something that is, that you were giving away for free and has become incredibly popular and is now a source of income for for you and several other people. Uh, how do we do this? Like, how does overthinking it do do the same thing that you've done? Because we we desperately need money. For God's sake, tell us. <laughs> Give us your secret lore. I feel like I should do a. Uh, I feel like I should do a spot for the overview now, but I won't. <laughs> well, uh, what you what you need to do is you you got to get people uh, invested in their personas on the Overthinking It website. So you you you, you let them you let them set up an account. Uh, they they can earn experience by uh, posting uh, insightful comments on the things that you guys write. Uh, let them let them dress up an avatar. Uh, you know, get thicker and thicker uh, framed glasses. Uh, the higher level that they get, maybe, and uh, I like that thinner and thinner hair to go along with it. Yeah, give them something. Give it. You got to give them something they care about. It's uh, you know, it, it's it is kind of a, a a sad reality of it, right? It, because the the content, the stuff that we actually make, is not. It is not any any harder to make than a particularly good piece of prose. In fact, a, a lot of what we do is just prose. But the the fact that there is this framework that people kind of and I, you know what I'm what I am afraid of is that this framework that people will sort of become addicted to their progression through, then it becomes a thing <laughs> that's, that's suddenly worth their money. So uh, you know, I, I think it is it is no uh, it is no coincidence that uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know, a lot of rhetoric flying around about the gamification of things because when something turns into a game where you're leveling a guy up, you you just you feel you feel more connected to it. You feel more like it's a real thing. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I and I feel like it's uh, for for just the sort of like uh, traditional arts and letters. It's not uh, you, you 
you have to fundamentally change what it is in order to monetize it in the way that in the way that things like uh, like KOL do. Um, yeah, so so I don't know. Sorry, I, if 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 I hadn't done it completely by accident and in spite of almost every decision that I've ever made, uh, I, I would be in a better position to to give people advice on how to make money on the internet. Here's, but, John, uh, here's here's how we do it: we sell the site to AOL. That's great. Okay, That's good, or Yahoo. Yahoo's really big now. We all right? go to we all go to work for Ariana Huffington. <laughs> that could that could, that that actually has a surprisingly good chance of of working of, hap- of, of actually happening. Let's call that's, it. Our, that's that's surprisingly appealing to me. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> let's go. We'll call it the OTI content play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> distinct from the credibility play, which was the first three years of our. <laughs> um, of our existence. So, okay, so Zach, you've kind of described that it's a uh, it's a role playing game, but I mean, it's a it's a role playing game of a distinctive type. I mean, there's a reason why our audiences overlap so much. Like, I remember when I first heard of Kingdom of Loathing, though I've never I'm not good at computer games, and I don't play them because I don't ever do anything that I'm not good at, other than running a website. Hey ho, hey ho. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't really play any computer games, but I looked into Kingdom of Loathing when we first, a couple years ago, kind of had a, a little exchange when it became clear that uh, our audiences were overlapping a lot. And um, Zach, uh, is this the most fawning praise you've ever received? I, I don't. <laughs> I don't use your product, but um, I was forced to become aware of it. <laughs> When I thought my own self gratification might be somehow tied to it. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's definitely easier than than with a with an especially adoring fan. I I, I, I welcome the chance to, to to talk about it from uh, from sort of outside. The um well I I and I found that it, I found in fact that that it was awesome. I mean, when I saw the tagline, I thought. Well, this is this is an awesome thing. So you've talked about the fact that we used to in, it totally independently. Like we as a group, Matt and I and our friends back in college used to use permeations of the same line, <laughs> uh, just in, like in random conversation. In the, a winner, uh, win, the winner is you. Yeah, that. Uh, exactly. I, for whatever from, reason, uh, I was wrestler, right? I was really enthusiastic about the Nintendo game Pro Wrestling when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, right? yes. How could you I never not? watched wrestling. I never I never cared about wrestling in the real world at all. But that game, it, it had Starman. How, not that, not that. The, the I, always, I always felt that it was going kind of for the similar vibe that like the original Mike Tyson's Punch Out was going for, which is namely to encourage racial stereotypes. Oh yeah, but, yeah. but it was for races of people that don't exist on this planet. It's like like somehow Nintendo slipped through a vortex briefly into another universe and came back with a really racist game from an alternative universe. <laughs> right, and, and where where the biggest thing you know, the, oh those those Japanese, they're always uh, kicking you in the back of the head. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> now, but like, oh, you, the lunch you, or like oh, you or like Mike Tyson's uh, punch out. Oh, you know those hippo people? They're so they're so big, and they have those weird teeth. Like what what race was he supposed to be? Like what what caricature was he filling? I I never got that. Some sort of strange uh, half. Polynesian Islander, half gorilla. <laughs> it's, just, it's just weird. It's sort of an albino gorilla and a Samoan mated. Pro wrestling actually, had the uh, it, the Amazon lizard man who choke you with a bone. Oh yeah, which is again, which is weird. So weird. <laughs> and he would only do it until the until the ref caught on because that would be the most illegal thing that he had ever seen in the entire history of wrestling. Yeah. You know, pro wrestlers really—it's like it's the Zen koan of eight-bit Nintendo games, right? It's, it raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> it's really—it's not a game meant for for beating. It's a game meant for contemplation. You know, the, the interesting thing about pro wrestling <laughs> video games 
it, from the NES to the latest incarnations, because there are still, I mean, there was a, a recent release of some big, uh, I forget, I, <laughs> I, it, I forget the name of the game, but there was another, uh, you know, in the current generation of home consoles, another wrestling game released, is they, they reproduce the, the story of the games, of the, of the wrestling matches very accurately, but very little of the, the outside known reality of the wrestling matches. So in other words, it, it takes the, it takes the wrestling match as narrative and runs with it from there. But there's very little of like, you know, like, like if you've watched a lot of wrestling, you're, you're familiar with the dog meat wrestlers, the guys who's the jobbers, the guys whose only job is to show up and get beaten up by the, the up and coming new star. So, you know, the, the unnamed, untattooed, unornamented pro wrestlers or, you know, a person's heel or face, you know, relative value. Like, oh, this guy's star value is rising. Should we capitalize it on it with a heel turn or should we keep him as a face until the big, you know, pay-per-view tournament and then, you know, have him betray his team? Or should we have all these other wrestlers form up a faction like happened in the late 90s with, uh, what's it called, with NWO in the, in the WCW or, you Straight know, things like Compton. that. Straight out of Oh, wait, sorry. No, the other one. So, uh, so yeah, there, there's very little of the, there's very little of the meta narrative involved with wrestling video games. And I, I feel that's a real lost opportunity. But there's a great deal of meta narrative involved in Kingdom of Loathing, right? <laughs> that is to say the point i was trying right, to make before right, was i feel like i feel like we uh i feel like we buried the lead when we were talking about your game and that the thing that makes it awesome is that the writing is is funny and involves a lot of pop culture right and that's a lot of people have responded to responded to that very well right Sure. Yeah, we. Uh, you know, it's uh, so the the my my friend uh, Josh Knight, who's the the sort of other guy who was there in the very beginning. He and I he and I were friends in high school, and we moved away from one another for a while, and uh, would would exchange these really long emails with one another. And through that, where we were sort of always trying to outwit each other, we we kind of arrived at this practiced and unified voice that we can write very silly text in. Um, and, and that's just what it's full of, you know, because we don't, when we add a new monster to the game, we can't, you know, make a bunch of cool looking animations and stuff for when it attacks you. It's like, all right, well, we need to just write a bunch of little stories about what happens when it attacks you and a bunch of little stories about what happens when you attack it with a particular weapon. Um, and so the, yeah, the, the density of, of text is what I think brings people into it. There's, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it is, it is sort of both a parody of a game and a game in its own right. Um, and, and so I, you know, there, there are, if we have any creative differences on our team, it is because there are some of us who are like, now nah, we need to make sure this game is balanced and that it's, you know, it's replayable and that kind of thing. And then, and then the, the rest of us who are like, have we forgotten who we are? We, we need to write jokes about hippies is what we need to do. Not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not adjust a bunch of numbers for two weeks before we, before we show people our jokes about hippies. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very, it's full of, it's full of anachronism and, and I, I our our influences are are pretty decidedly uh, uh, Douglas Adams and uh, and actually sort of during the time when we were spending a lot of time uh, writing to one another is when uh, brunching shuttlecocks sort of had its heyday and so uh, oh, Lord yeah, Schobert yeah, yeah. um, especially like his his just especially in the ratings the little short form things that he does that 
that is essentially the model for when we do most of the writing in KOL is not in these sort of epic sweeping storylines. Um, I, it, it, you know, it's weird as we we're working on the second project and we keep butting heads with the fact that I, as the person who's in charge of this outfit, don't, I, I don't really care about story in video games. And so I'm like, what, what are you talking about? We don't have story in our video games. We, we have a bunch of single paragraphs about, about something that's happening. That, but there is no, if the, if there was a unified whole, we would, we would have just violated it around so many corners that it would make no sense at all. So I, I tend to think of it as a thing that just doesn't have an overarching narrative. Uh, well, you know, you produce your own narrative. Well, first I beat up this hippie and then I beat up this frat boy and then I went and killed these goblins and, and that's your story. But, the classic uh, love story, really. Yeah. Actually, that, that brings up, that brings up um, an interesting question that, that I wanted to ask you, which is um, I remember reading uh, at some point that before his death, Gary Gygax had become like uh, – Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons & Dragons, you know, sort of arguably one, like one, – One of the creators. One of, of, one of the creators, yeah. Sorry. Um, Although Dave so, Arneson is, is also dead. Well, uh, <laughs> they mysteriously die. Isn't, aren't they oh. just the same guy and one of them wears glasses? I, I that's ridiculous. They both they both died okay. in the tragic phone booth collapse. That's right. Yeah, no, uh, they were told in the title not to pick up the phone booth. I don't know where <laughs> what they were thinking. Anyway, uh, but Gygax had become sort of an outspoken um, uh, just just a, a hater, a player hater of um, of the video game role playing game. Um, that he felt that the sort of core uh, the core elements of the tabletop role-playing game were sort of completely abandoned when we made the move to, you know, Final Fantasy and, um, and, and Chrono Trigger and, and, you know, all of the, all the ilk that came afterward, which is that, you know, what he saw the whole point of Dungeons & Dragons was not so much the, like, slaying of, uh, of beholders and the casting of magic missile, but more that you were, like, creating a character and, and your friends were creating characters. And those, like, new characters that you were creating were sort of experiencing this alternate world together. That, you know, uh, it was meant to be a creative act on, on everyone's part, not just the Dungeon Masters. And he felt that video game role-playing games just could not do that. So I was curious what he thought about that. Well, it's weird to hear him say that because because I think while there are a lot of traditional pen and paper role-playing games that are very highly story-focused, the ones that, that I'm aware of that he made, at least, were not really – you know, he sort of established all these archetypes of like, all right, well, everything is represented numerically um, – you know, as opposed to like, well, right, right. How, how did how did it make you feel when you got hit by the kobold? You know, <laughs> which is more more in the purview of like a, a vampire, the masquerade, or or the you know the white wolf games, or or any number of artsy you know single page. There, there, I, I keep seeing a lot of these like, all right, the rules for this role playing game fit on a single page because what this is meant to be is just a sort of parlor game where you and your friends tell a story together. But Dungeons and Dragons Genesis was in these tabletop war games where you know there was i i have to imagine some representation of a character in terms of a little miniature guy but how how much backstory does the little metal man have right it was all about numbers and all about armies of of guys doing this stuff and uh you know i the sense that i got of gygax was that he became he was extraordinarily influential in terms of of the the way that that sort of gamer and uh, and gaming culture spiraled out from the very early stuff that he did. And I wonder if he felt like he wasn't getting enough credit, or you know, maybe he's just one of those guys that gets curmudgeonly when he gets older. Or, or <laughs> he became, you know, I, you you mentioned the Beholder. Uh, it's a good thing he's not alive. He, he probably would have gotten a letter saying hey, you're not allowed to talk about the Beholder in uh, in public because that's a registered <laughs> trademark of uh, TSR. <laughs> 
I, no, I will. I, I will. I will defend Gygax's assertion to a limited extent, although this might be sort of damning with faint praise or a backhanded compliment or what have you. But having seen having seen several incarnations of the the Dungeons and Dragons platform from the the late bits of what I guess could be called first edition AD and D all the way up to the most recent fourth edition, there's been an increasing focus on. I, I guess what you might call either game balance or making different interlocking pieces fit together for numerical advantage in later editions that wasn't always present in earlier editions. Uh, this this is something that that I read in. <laughs> I'm I'm going to totally nerd date myself here, so strap in, guys. It's going to be exciting. Uh, in an in an issue <laughs> in the in the video game reviews column of an old issue of Dragon Magazine from I want to say like 1996 Dragon Magazine being the in-house publication of TSR Oh yeah was... Dragon Magazine I like their early stuff but the later stuff was so commercial <laughs> I liked it better when the dragons were all underground <laughs> of the world's wealth. I like it better when the the dragons were just in their eggs and, you know, Daenerys Targaryen's, uh, you know, chest on the Dothraki seat. Never mind. Nerd! Oh, sorry. I say that. Anyway, it was it was a review of some some console RPG. I I forget which one, but the the reviewer was making the point that in a tabletop role playing game, which at the time primarily meant uh, second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, you might pick a a non ideal race and class combination just because hey, it'd be interesting. Like you might try and be a halfling fighter or something, even though halflings typically don't have great strength. It was like hey, there are some possible adventures you could have, and it would be interesting. But in a video game, you never would. Because in a video game, your character is defined by these numerical identities rather than by any voice you lend to it. And you just be sacrificing so much long-term potential by making it that way. And I think that in the, in the years since, that's, that's become even less common in tabletop role-playing games. So that in 4th edition D&D, for instance, the most recent edition, you wouldn't make a halfling fighter. I mean, there's, there's just no... You'd be missing out on so much long-term opportunity if you don't have a, if you don't have a race where strength is your, is your primary stat. So th- that's just a... It's a wealth of, I guess, narrative opportunities that are shut down by the inherent need to constantly maximize your efficiency at either dealing, receiving, or managing damage that uh that just weren't present in earlier editions now maybe that now maybe in part that speaks to better game design since since Gygax invented it first off which i entirely believe but it also speaks to a sort of lack of creativity that's now required well the, i think maybe that's part of the reason when when people describe fourth edition dungeons and dragons as being very much like a video game i i think part of the reason that so much of it is is balanced numbers is i i bet in fourth edition D, and i don't know a whole lot about it i've never actually played it but uh i bet you could make a halfling fighter because i'll bet that a lot of the things that have a bunch of numbers associated with them and a bunch of tricks that they've decided that you can do as a halfling make up for whatever the disadvantages are. I, a lot of what they were going for, I think, was to make it so in the beginning a a guy swinging swords at stuff was as much fun to play as a guy casting fireball fireballs at stuff right and so so they did a lot of things like well so we give we give a fighter these special moves that they can do and 
people look at it and say, well, you know, this isn't uh, you could have role played the guy doing this, you know, instead of it instead of it just being, you know, written down, you know, mighty cleave or whatever that that attacks three guys instead of one. Uh, But my argument would be that you still could role play it that in in making in trying to make the combat you're you're saying that this progression is more sort of um at the fault of like the the waning creativity of the players not so much at the the hands of the the game's creators right well this is this is what i will contend i will contend that with this new numerically balanced very video gamey version of dungeons and dragons there are a hundred times as many people playing it because they played video games who would never have arrived at it as a storytelling mm, game. Mm. Right. So the, the freedom is still there for the people who, who, who want to tell these stories and who want to share these experiences. And I think that they still do. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of maybe a poor carpenter that blames his game system for the fact that they're not having any fun. Right. I mean, it, <laughs> well, I, I'd say the spirit of the, the sort of, um, the philosophical stint that made a person back in the day say, hey, you know what, I'm going to make a, a halfling fighter and see how that works out for me, still to a certain extent exists in the form of, um, in electronic video game, electronic role-playing games, in the form of, like, the achievement system, right? Um, which is, you know, just put forth to sort of challenge you. I mean, you know, see if you can pull all this off without ever casting a single spell, or see if you can, I don't know, I'm a big portal player. So see if you can, you know, get through the entire game without ever entering through a blue portal. Um, you know, purposely handicap yourself severely just to see uh, if you can do it A and B, what sort of like new experience this brings to playing through essentially the same game. Yeah, it's definitely a, you know these these kind of optional challenges are, and we we try and do a lot of stuff like that in Kingdom of Loathing. You know, we 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 give people the opportunity to play however well or poorly. They, they want to, uh, you know, it was something, something you said, uh, Matt was, <laughs> you've, was you've certainly that, given me the opportunity to play as poorly as I wanted to. And I, well, I have and taken up that gamut. <laughs> something, something that I worry about a lot of the time is that uh, people will say to me, uh, I don't understand the game anymore. And I am worried that we have turned it into something where it's, it's complexity. We want the complexity to be there for the people who care about it, but we don't want the complexity to be there to intimidate the people who want to approach something very casually. Because, you know, it, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of people playing who don't play any other video games, who haven't played any other video games. And, and when, Matt, when you said, I didn't check it out because I'm bad at video games, I, I would really like for that to not be an obstacle for someone. But it's difficult to make that clear, especially because if you, if you go and look at our forums, people talking about video games on the internet, ours are pretty good comparatively. But man, if you ever wanted to convince yourself that a video game was the worst piece of creative work that had ever been created, go read forums about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, isn't that, I mean, that's a, with anything that kind of goes on and is, is sort of community, uh, like engenders a community, isn't that always, a, there's always a, um, uh, a balance between sort of rewarding your old stalwarts and accepting new people into the community. And you have to, to accept uh, new people into the community or else it will sort of die, right? You have to kind of introduce yeah. energy into the system yeah, or this else. Is, this, this is called the Judaism model, actually. <laughs> I speak from experience here. Isn't it? Yeah, it's also like the second law of thermodynamics in a way. In a way, it's sort the second of. law of thermodynamics. Which it, is, I yes. tried to convert to Judaism, but I was too intimidated by the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> we have a walkthrough now. Damn it! Yeah, I, the the mikvah seemed cold, and uh, you know, the side scroller, but it goes right to left. Anybody? <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> <God. laughs> 
Uh, but um, right, like uh, this is this is something like that that uh, uh, that you must deal with in the game. Like if you're, uh, you know, if you're programming to your to your loyal following, then then you do a certain kind of thing. And if you're programming so that there's an easy path to introduce people to the thing, then then you do a certain kind of thing. And in a way, you can't kind of can't please please all the people all the time, right? There's a, there's an industry example the uh, Star Wars Galaxies which which should have been World of Warcraft it was oh, yeah. uh, so they took they took the EverQuest model they got the Star Wars license and then they just made a game that kind of did not have mainstream appeal, um, but they, 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 they did do they do do something amazing though, which is actually very much in, in tune with what our opening question was this week, right? Which was like gave people, I think, possibly for the first time, uh, the ability to like build a narrative and build a character who is not um, who is not a fighter. Who, who sure, wasn't you could, maybe you could even dance in, like, in a cantina as your yeah. as your profession, you know? and, and and that would be every day in the game, you know, if if. For some reason, your real life was super exciting and really diverse, and what you wanted to fantasize about was a monotonous grinding job for minimal wage. You could do that. Well, in in uh, like in in Second Life, you can have a monotonous grinding job for uh, uh-huh. you know <laughs> minimum wage as a stripper, and not, and not the good kind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, in my, and in Minecraft, you can have a literal grinding job to uh, <laughs> to get minerals out of the earth. Right? Like, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, isn't it funny that like what in Second Life you give people the ability to um, to do whatever they want? It's like you know the the sum total of man's ingenuity leads to you know penises for hands or something like that. Like mm-hmm. I have you know uh, appendages, penetrative appendages coming over all of my. Po- I don't know. Well, we we talk about the, the need. <laughs> we talk about the need for a for an online RPG to you know, reach out to a broader audience and, you know, create these opportunities. But then we then we have the success of things like EVE Online, which is almost completely inaccessible to a casual user. Like the the tutorial or the the walkthrough, the readme just to get into EVE Online is pages and pages long. And it, it's it's been described as literally Excel spreadsheets plus high res uh, desktop screensavers. And and that's that's a fair description as far as I can tell because you have these go- these gorgeous sci-fi backdrops, and you you travel between them at incredibly slow rates of speed, and then when you're you're leveling up or, or managing your character, have to juggle these these dense these dense tables of numbers, and that's it's it's the kind of thing that's inaccessible to the casual gamer, and yet is almost as pot well. Almost when I say almost as popular as World of Warcraft, I mean like you know an order of magnitude lower, but still in the in the millions of users. Sure, and it's Just, and it's certainly making sad. making that company of guys in in Iceland or wherever they are enough money to do what they love. What is what is fascinating to me about Eve is that it kind of goes back to this Gygax thing, where that is a game where if you ask people what they like about it, it is not the gameplay. It is not you know sitting there watching your ship fire a little white line at a laser and seeing another entry in your spreadsheet pop up about the minerals that you've mined. It is <laughs> it is the, these sort of sweeping political landscapes of you. Know, uh, the the so, something awful. Their their goons are like a big political force in Eve Online, right? It is it is a game about alliances and betrayals and the stuff that the players are doing as groups. And that more than anything that I'm aware of now is just really story based. You know, you see news. Well, if you follow video game news like I do, at least you see these stories about you know these these just shady deals that go down and and uh, these crazy controversies and stuff. That none of that is in the game. It is just. That the fidelity of the the simulation is such that people can people. Uh, I think yeah, there you were, have to be so into it 
to get into it at all that everyone <laughs> everyone is invested in this world and so the world becomes the character that the story is about yeah there was a story that came out a couple of years ago about uh, an eve guild that was subverted from within by like this this camp this this cadre of saboteurs who broke into the guild's leadership worked their way up in the ranks and then plundered its group account and you know made off with the equivalent of of billions in online funds and the 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 fallout and and various you know the, the various fallout that resulted from that and and that just sounds fascinating but the the effort I can see how the I can see how early editions of D and D probably appeared similar like you know the the notion of oh you know these these crazy fantastic realms that are being described like oh it sounds great what do I have to do well you have to sit down you have to roll three dice you know six times to make your stats then you have to pick a class then you have to level up then you have to you know show up every week and so like wow that sounds much less appealing now. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Was I was I supposed to? Remember? <laughs> yeah, that way. Yes, you're right. Uh, yes. Ter- 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 terrible at podcasts. Uh. This is so you have uh, you've expanded your empire through like you have a shoutcast radio station and and podcasts of your own. Like, what is your what is your media empire like? Well, we have to we have to be careful too. We do not have a shoutcast station. Oh yeah, no. There's but there is there is one that is there popular is. popularly yeah. associated with KRO. It's it's an unofficial one, and, and that actually the, you know sort of before before podcasts were a thing, that was what we were we were doing since uh, I think the first things in the archive are from 2004. We did these these Q and A shows uh, where people just send us questions and we just sort of talk about stuff um, and. Uh, yeah, so so four hours a week of that for the last six or seven years, and then uh, recently uh, because I realized, wait, I mean, I have all this equipment, and we've gotten uh, not in present experience, notwithstanding, pretty good at, uh, at at producing audio content for people to to listen to and enjoy. So we've uh, we've actually split off. I, I was hoping to get an opportunity to plug this. We've split off one of the broadcasts because something that we found out was that a lot of people would play Kingdom of Loathing for a while, and then after they quit, they would still listen to the broadcasts and uh, download them from the archive that we had. So we thought, well, let's do a let's do a, a general interest video games podcast. So uh, we've we've made it through three episodes of uh, the podcast Video Games Hot Dog, which you can find on iTunes or at uh, videogameshotdog.com, where we just, you know, we spent so much time on these shows talking about other stuff, we might as well kind of institutionalize that and see if we can just do a more general interest thing. Yeah, Ryan, and then, Ryan Sheely and I did that with Gossip Girl. Yeah. Um, and, then, uh, and then another buddy of mine. Which, which uh, is less cool, I, I suppose, in a way. Uh, you know, I have to. I have to admit that while I've listened to uh, to most of the overthinking it, I've I've not uh, I've not ever seen an episode of Gossip Girl or uh, or Glee, so I was afraid that I would be lost if I ever tried to to, to listen to those. No, it's really it's there's mostly a, it's mostly about yeah, exactly. We have there's, we have a walk through if you want. No, the show's mostly about it's mostly about political science and behavioral economics. So okay, uh, you know. But uh, we tried to branch out. I, uh, another buddy of mine had been pestering me for years to do uh, uh, a sort of an advice call-in show with him. So that one is called Advice Hot Dog. Uh, so we're, we're trying to establish the hot dog media empire. Um, we like hot dogs. That was where the name came from. Oh, an advice show. Mm. We may have to rip you off there. That's a great idea. You guys haven't done a listener feedback show in a really long time. I always, <laughs> I always no, like learning no. people's longitudes and latitudes. It's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's kind of it's kind of a running joke. That's I mean, yeah. right? That's the kind of thing. If I were to say Mint Milano's, or you know, I don't know. In a way, 
uh, Gossip Girl is less, uh, you know, less is less cool than role playing games in a way. Um, right. That's that's one uh, playing to the uh, playing to the pit there or playing to the, the longtime listeners, I guess. Um, uh, you know, that's what we oh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I actually got uh, got disrupted halfway through the the talking about maintaining your your long term audience versus remaining accessible to new people. I mean, I, that's yeah, that must be a thing that happens in podcasting, too. I, I, I know when I come into a new show, I'm, I, I always feel lost for a little while and and then uh, I always kind of want to go back and listen to the first few once I get once I get an idea for the tropes that they have. But uh, the uh, the the Star Wars role playing game that I was talking about, they did this thing that is just sort of legendarily ill received called the New Game Experience. If you if you uh, if you Google the NGE, they in trying to make a product more accessible to new users, really seriously alienated their uh, their 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 diehard crowd. Um, and I you know I don't know that they ever really recovered. From <laughs> But, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. The new KOL experience or the new overthinking it experience. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem, uh, it's the, uh, it's the electronic age version of new Coke and about as well received. Well, you know, you know what it is. It's that like, it's that you grow right in, in the, in the process of making something on the internet, you're sort of, your tastes change and you, you gain experience and, uh, and you grow, you know what I mean? And if, if, if you were starting a website, if you were starting a game now, you would probably structure it completely differently than, than, uh, what you did early on with Kingdom of Loathing because, because of what you've learned in the interim. Sure, that's and- true. And the, and the state of the art of everything changes over time, too. I mean, I, I think with, with podcasting, it's interesting because, you know, radio has remained more or less the same for quite a while, right? I mean, we, we, we do a, a less old-timey fake voices uh, about things that are going on overseas, I guess. But, uh, uh, you know, it's... It, it's weird to go back and look at stuff that you produce at the beginning of a really long-term project because you think, well, this must have been good on some level because people liked it. But it's- no, do not listen to the first overthinking in podcast. It is not good. It is still on the internet, but it uh, is know, not. Good. You know, you, you've said this on numerous occasions. I really enjoyed the first overthinking. Oh, the, podcast. You're too kind. I, uh, I mean, I was just I was sort of you know mystery science theater through thousand it the entire time. So. God, you guys know nothing about the short films nominated for the Oscar. <laughs> in, yeah, in 2008. <laughs> you guys know nothing about the live-action shorts from 2008. <laughs> uh, the Mozart of Pickpockets was inspired. Inspired. Oh, the Mozart of Pickpockets was a, a piece of poop. And, and it eventually won, right? I remember, like, it did. I think yeah, it was, it, was t- it was terrible, right? Like two, two pickpockets. Yeah, like two pickpockets adopt a, a a young boy, teach him to be a pickpocket, and in the process, learn to love again. Ah, it's yeah. terrible. I mean, it's terrible. There was a. Although, there- that, although that's how my parents met. <laughs> it's both both hands in the same pocket. That's right. Stealing the same piece of spaghetti. When, yeah, when a mommy when a when a mommy pickpocket and a daddy pickpocket love each other very much, they uh, they give each other a special kind of pull. Yeah, that's the that actually is the plot line to the Grifters. So you have a you have a um, you have a podcast network now. You have an audio entertainment network, huh? Yeah, a little bit of one. Uh, kind of again, like like everything happened sort of accidentally. But it's uh, it's been expanding. We actually uh, 
I, I, I was surprised. We have two two podcasts in the new and noteworthy of two different sections on iTunes. Uh, I, I learned the trick from you guys of asking people to give us ratings on iTunes. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's that's it, right? Like, um, yeah, if you get a if you get a high volume of ratings, you get pushed up those charts. Also, you'll find that it it happens days in days right after you release because um, I think part of the algorithm has to do with downloads, and so if if people are subscribing and in the twenty four or forty eight hours after you release, there there's a high volume of downloads uh, relative to the rest of the week that'll also figure into the algorithm and, and knock you up the chart as well i think yeah boy are their uh, boy are their policies and procedures uh, opaque over there at itunes yeah well but you know what someone must someone must be able to talk to them because there are people who get featured or who have like producer pages and things like this and we you know we don't have that uh on overthinking it but like um uh, right. Like there, there are people who do deals with them, and I guess they're the big, the big podcasting networks like Twit or the Adam Carolla Network or the, oh, I don't know what CNET Network or you know the Kevin Smith Network or what have you. The um, but uh, you know the little guys, the little guys can't get ahead. All this technology, all this uh, you know, um, all this disintermediation of <laughs> right audio content, and uh, we can't. Well, still, that said, there are, there are still so we can't thousands. get ahead. Thousands more people listening to us than would have been if we were recording this in a garage 20 years ago, right? So, it's gonna, true. you know, Bro- that actually reminds me of something. Broadcasting it through the power of ham radio. That reminds me of something I was hoping to ask you guys on the podcast because it, it, uh, it's something that I've always wondered about as a listener. What, uh, what podcasts do you guys listen to on a regular basis? I, I can answer that, but my answer is going to be long, so maybe I'll let the other guys go first. Uh, I'll go because there's really only one that I, uh, other than this one, when I'm not on it. Um, when I am on it, I, I know not to listen because it's just going to be terrible. Um, I listen to Ben Heckendorn's podcast, which I guess has now become like a series of, uh, of videos that he's put out. Anybody else uh, know Ben Heckendorn? No. Uh, oh, actually, Zach, I'm surprised you don't know. He's a he's like a, a big modder guy. He's uh, put out a, a book on like how to hack video game consoles from their like you know, traditional iteration into little handhelds. So if you've got like a Super Nintendo sitting around your basement, you can just, you know, solder the crap out of it and have like a little handheld SNES of your own creation and we'll still play like SNES games and so forth. But he's a, um, and, and then in his spare time, you know, he's a big video game nut and also an amateur filmmaker. So he has this just like aggressively underproduced podcast where like he and a childhood friend basically sit around smoking cigars and like bitching about video games. And uh, it's just amusing to me because he's, you know, he's the object of, of many nerd core fantasies or, you know, across the, I, I many, a, a person I knew at MIT dreamed of just like hanging out in uh, Ben Heckendorn's basement. Um, and yet he just doesn't really seem to care. So it's a lot of fun. Check it out. John, do you, are you a big consumer of podcasts? Not a big consumer. The, I mean, aside from aside from ours, the the only other one I listen to with any kind of real regularity is the Wasted Words podcast, which is uh, which is has a couple regulars on it. Uh, R.J. White, who's a an internet comedy writer of I think roughly our tier of repute, or maybe one tier higher. Uh, Leonard Pierce and a couple other couple of people who are in and around the the Twitter sphere. It's I mean they're they're all funny online writers of varying levels of of freelanceness or publication. And the the only other rule is that they they're all they're all at least one or two drinks in the bag before they start recording. Hence the name wasted words. So it's uh, it's usually pretty funny, pretty literate. Uh, runs runs all over the the topic sphere. Doesn't just limit itself to pop culture like ours does, but is otherwise pretty similar in 
in tone, uh, also in that they fess up to being drunk, whereas we just hide it shamefully and never make an explicit mention of it. But, uh, but yeah, Wasted Words podcast, pretty funny, very good. Check it out. What do you mean we don't own up to it? I'm three sheets you, to the wind right now. You were never in the Navy. What? Where am I? <laughs> um, well, I so I'm going to leave tech podcasts out of the list because I listen to a lot of of uh, of tech podcasts, um, and that's I mean it's something that's funny. I think the tech space is is pretty saturated in the podcasting market because people who are able to download podcasts, people who are kind of hip to what that is, and like able to I guess it's getting less I guess it's getting less of a of a kind of niche thing now, but. Uh, people who are able to download podcasts are people who tend to be technically savvy and are interested in in um, tech coverage. And I'll leave out the like I listen to a lot of sort of Drupal related podcasts because of my my uh, my freelance job. But okay, so so here's a couple that that I like. There's there's this place called the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California, and they do a podcast called Audio Dharma that are. Um, various talks about Buddhism and about meditation and things like this that I, that uh, I think are pretty cool. And they give them away all for free uh, on the internet. Uh, Merlin Mann, who is a uh, uh, cranky web personality who wants to tell you how you're doing everything creative wrong, has been doing a show uh, on the five by five network called back to work, I think is pretty good. Um, the Adam Carolla podcast I enjoy, but it's an acquired taste. But if, if you want to listen to something that has nothing to do with your life, but I still enjoy uh, ace on the house, um, is his home improvement show where people call in with home improvement <laughs> questions, and and he t- he talks about it, and I don't understand a, a a word that comes out of his mouth in that nasally drone of his, like ah, ah. But, there, there, it's it's uh, they're eighteen inches on center, which means the bays are fourteen and a half, you know, like um. It's or no, like six, a uh, home improvement advice from the penguin, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you some. Um, but uh, uh, okay, so I think WTF, the Mark Maron podcast, uh, is pretty good. Um, there's a show called uh, uh, The Business, which is produced by KCRW. That is, and another one called Martini Shot um, uh, from KCRW, which is a radio station in LA, uh, that are available as podcasts. Uh, if you don't listen to The Sound of Young America. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, does, is nobody here a Jesse Thorne fan? Yeah, the guy's, the guy's awesome. And the, he's, you know. he's out there winning it for pudgy nerds everywhere every day, you know? <laughs> he's, he's, he's our Michael Jordan. He's all we get, people. He and Jonathan Colton. Oh, uh, one, one, uh, speaking, of, speaking of nerds who have who crossed over and are, are winning it for us, uh, I, would be remiss <laughs> if, <clears throat> I would be remiss if I didn't give a, a shout-out to the Nerdist podcast and uh, Chris Hardwick. Who I saw do a, a live show oh, actually yeah, about, yeah. about two weeks ago here in uh, here in Boston, and he's he does he does very entertaining stand up. Uh, the Nerdist is a very entertaining podcast and website in its own right. Uh, highly highly recommended uh, based on that. So uh, I but, gotta but say, really, oh Chris Chris Hardwick is is uh, I think so funny and so intelligent and so well educated that I marvel at the fact that he's like a G four personality. <laughs> how, how did he possibly end up there? I mean, I guess you got. Well, I mean, he started started out being the host of Singled Out on MTV, right? I mean, it, it, he had a he had a weird road to get to where he is, but but no, I agree. He's, you know, he's been an editor at Wired, right? I mean, you know, the, the dude's got the series. He can he can back it up. And he has a way, like Adam Carolla does, I think of, and this this kind of dates back to the Loveline days. If if Adam Carolla is interviewing a celebrity, you sort of find out, or at least you get the sense that you have found out what that celebrity is actually like. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah sure. It's very yeah, yeah. non a very non PR kind of approach uh, to to that kind of thing, and it's it's really refreshing. I mean, I, I I can imagine why listening to Adam Carolla talk about home improvement would be a really entertaining thing because he just he just has this this authenticity <laughs> where it, you can disagree with or fail to understand ninety five percent of what of what he says, but still be just comprehensively entertained by him. And for your information, Schechner, I've gone to school with at least one of the current G4 TV personalities. So, wait, who you did you go to? Who'd you go to? Is, wait, is it the announcer for uh, for uh, uh, Ninja Warrior? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's Allison Hayslip, currently one of the the co-hosts on Attack of the Show. Okay, I, I find her less aggressively offensive than most of the the other people. Praise. That's high, high praise. High praise. Tell, tell, tell Alton and I say hi. Good work. You are less offensive than all the other people on your network. Oh no, no, no! I, I, you I definitely never... could be worse. <laughs> I, I, I haven't talked to her in probably seven years, so this her odds of hearing this are just as good from downloading this podcast as if I actually send her an email. So yeah. a lot of G four, a lot of guys at G four listen to the Overthinking Your Podcast. Adam Sessler, call me back. <laughs> I want to get. Maybe looks just like you, Adam. And then there's the whole there's the whole podcast thing of like public radio shows that just get released on the internet. Like Radio Lab is a really good one. Uh, Harry Shearer's La Show is a very good one. Um, film spotting is pretty good. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I guess my tastes run not towards the indie. Like I I wonder if I would listen to the Overthinking It podcast if I you know if I weren't one of the guys on it. The uh, the definitely is speaking of Jesse Thorne, their uh, their Max Fun podcasts are all pretty funny. Uh, the Jordan Jesse Go and uh, Stop Podcasting Yourself and My Brother My Brother and Me all uh, all good stuff. They're not you know there's there's sort of two different approaches. You can go the edifying route, with, you know, a Radio Lab and things like that, or you can go the just all right. This is something to to entertain me while I'm walking somewhere, and that's that's definitely the the direction that I go with them. Radio Lab's good stuff, though. You can you can learn a thing or two. You know what's yeah. funny is, is Radio Lab. I, I'm I'm friends with a bunch of neuroscientists, and I find that they they polarize about Radio Lab much in the way that a lot of like um, scientists polarize about XKCD. In that either like they're they're so amused by the very fact that like a, a consumable popular version of what they're interested in is getting put out there and is enjoyed by people that aren't professionals. Or the other half of them that feel that some like minuscule portion of what they do has been somehow misrepresented in an attempt to to crystallize it down for a more consumable audience that they find the whole thing just just horrific. How could they possibly crystallize you know left right brain ocular dominance and neuroplasticity to such an entertaining half hour worth of radio? I am offended. How could they possibly crystallize crystallography down to that level? That's the wow. You know, this, that's a great intro for my lecture on Gerdelian math and God, Godwin's law. Thank you, John. <laughs> hey, yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we, we at the Overthinking Podcast have solved the crystal structure of awesome. It's true. Yeah. Um, it Looks must like be the same way that social scientists feel about Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yeah, I was about to bring up Malcolm Gladwell. That's that that seems like a similar sort of thing where, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, that's that's great. It's it's not. It's not science, though. And then I'll say, well, okay, I'll I'll take back having enjoyed reading that, I guess. <laughs> I, well, it's not, I mean, like, I guess I don't know. I guess a lot of scientists would say that about the soft sciences generally. Right. Like uh, I, 
I always imagine a continuum of softness in science with, you know, <laughs> with what, like mechanical engineering or something like that on the right and uh, sociology or, you know, or something. Mechanical, all the way on wow, the mechanical engineering. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. You want to talk about condensed matter physics, boy. That, that's where you want to be. <laughs> you want to be in quantum cosmology. That's that's the realm you want. Is that the uh, is that the hardest? What is the hardest of sciences? What what is the diamond to the uh, to to the basalt of uh, of uh, econ? I don't. I mean, sorry. Uh, you know, no, not not life. econ. Econ is is at least a third of the way up the chart. I mean, of of uh, sociology. You know what I mean? Of like cultural studies or something like that. Yeah, but I did not to, to extend the metaphor. I didn't know what the softest on the hardness scale was. Is it like, <laughs> fl- like nutter? Does it go like, like, like midway through gypsum all the way on to, you know, tang? Um, yeah, no, I, when you get to any theoretical physics, um, when it gets to the point where, like, people... The thing that's always amazed me about theoretical physicists, not only that I know more than one of them, which I find kind of amazing, <laughs> is that, like, these are people who somehow manage to simultaneously think in a very conceptual, abstract way about, about you know, how matter interacts or how, like, the, the, the flow of energy works in the universe. You know, th- things that would, would work really brilliantly in, like, the establishing shot of a science fiction not a, a movie, right? But they also, uh, at the same time, are thinking at this very complicated mathematical level. And the, and the two aren't, are, are distinct and complementary, and they'll sort of toggle back and forth between the two of them to, to inform the other. So half of the time they're looking at this just like indigestible series of um, uh, 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 of symbols to try and you know convince themselves that something they think is true is true, and the other half of the time they'll be like, well, this doesn't make intuitive sense because there's no you know symmetry to the whole thing. So like, unless your brain can do that, you shouldn't think about um, you know theoretical physics. Going into going into theoretical physics. Yeah, yeah. Also, so, don't you don't you have to be Jewish? Uh, you can also be South Asian. <laughs> those, those are your options, you know. Uh, Germans, if you if you have a team of about a hundred Germans, they'll they'll do. Uh, but then a lot of them are Jewish, so you know there's a Venn diagram to be drawn. <laughs> um, all right, we're past an hour, so we should we should probably wrap it up. Wow, hey, like every good episode of the Overthinking It podcast, we really didn't get past item number one on the agenda to any Woo-hoo! of the other to any of the other things that we wanted to talk about. Is that not awesome? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It's um I should get a cube fridge. I should get a mini fridge up here in the uh in the um the podcasting studio up here because I I have to walk all the way down to the uh down the hall to the um to the fridge to the kitchen in order to refill my cup. Well, I'll do that now and leave you with this thought. If you want <laughs> <laughs> Magically detailed window into Rather's drinking habits. <laughs> if you want to contribute to the conversation uh, or submit something to the listener feedback show that we never do, uh, call uh, 20. What is it? 203-285-6401. It's 203-285-6401. You can also SMS message us if you're in a hurry or on the go. Uh, you can text 203-285-6401, and the Google Voice number deals with that just as well as a uh, regular call. In fact, I've been getting nothing but spam calls uh, about like pyramid schemes and investment opportunities um, on, the, on the Google Voice number. I actually I th- – I'm thinking of – they're becoming more and more frequent, and I'm thinking of Constructing a listener feedback episode completely <laughs> out of these robocalls, these spam robocalls. Yeah, they, they might actually be our core audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid that like that fully 80% of our Twitter followers are um, 
<laughs> you know, are like spam bots or something like that. Hey, uh, anything, that adds to, anything that adds to our iTunes ratings, I want to <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> um, or you can email podcast at overthinkingit.com, but don't do that, or only do it if you're a chump. The thing to do is to go on the website, find the show notes for this episode, and join the many dozens of comments long discussions that uh, that happen there. It's uh, it's a fantastic community that this uh, that this show has, and uh, you find it on the comments thread for the show notes. You don't really find it on the listener feedback shows. And now we're now we're I'm I'm kind of in a private like running joke with myself to see how long we can go uh, without doing uh, one. You also can find us on the Twitters at Overthinking It. You can uh, subscribe to uh, the site's feed uh, in RSS. You can subscribe to this podcast or the other podcast, uh, the These Effing Teenagers podcast uh, on iTunes. And you can download the Overview, which is our for-profit venture, our uh, series of, of um, alternative commentaries to your favorite movies. It's, it's like movies, but smarter. Um, you can do the... Uh, uh, you can do that. Uh, the ones that are available now are for free. You can download Twilight. Uh, Starship Troopers is available, and uh, The Karate Kid is available. Zach, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, they can find uh, our video game at kingdomofloathing.com. Or uh, on Twitter, actually, uh, the, the company, Asymmetric Publications, uh, is ASYM on Twitter, just so it's easy to find. That's a good way to figure out basically everything that we're doing. Do you have a personal Twitter that people can follow? Uh, I don't. I have a personal Twitter that I use to follow other people, but I, I never say anything. So never, uh, never post anything to it. And the uh, the Hot Dog uh, Podcast Network is oh, sure, available yeah, on uh, iTunes? AdviceHotDog.com or, yeah, go to, go to iTunes and look up Advice Hot Dog or Video Games Hot Dog. You won't be sorry. I believe it. Uh, and you won't be sorry if you visit OverthinkingIt.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. Not being sorry, subject to a plus or minus fifty percent. Matt, why are you always dissing on people emailing us? Email is awesome. Why are you still asking people to contact uh, contact you at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, here's a great way to engender a new fan base. Dis on and, and, and purposefully don't hold a listener feedback show. Tell them about the existence of them and then host a personal game against yourself to not have them. Look, A, I've never claimed not to be terrible at this. <laughs> <laughs>